Hello and welcome to the 30 at Spool.ie podcast with me, a 30-year-old Nigel, and him, a 30-year-old Boric. Hello. So for this month's Watch with Spool, we went back to Mad Max 1 and Mad Max 2, um, because obviously Mad Max Fury Road is coming out. So it's back to 1979. Has, has come out. Has come out. And we will talk about it shortly. Yeah. yeah. So George Miller is the director. He started the franchise off back in 79. And we'd never seen it, so they're kind of seen as these cult classic road kind of gritty cheap done for no budget kind of thing and reading some of the trivia about the first one it does seem like it was done for like a tenner yeah 400,000 Aussie dollars probably which which is is like 50 euro yeah um so stars it's not as dystopian because I like when we went and watched it I was like okay so it's going to be crazy deserts and everything but that doesn't really kick into the second one so the first one's more so like uh scummy kind of city uh, law and order has kind of broken down but mel gibson still is a cop yeah you know? they're trying to they're trying to do out in the outback trying to kind yeah. of retain it's a more like a semblance. judge dread kind of almost i like, kind of got that vibe as well um so there's this uh, biker gang and terrorizing the place then mel gibson who plays uh, max max Rok- uh, rokotansky he then gets involved with them you know, it's awfully violent, kind of shit hits the fan. Then he decides, I'm getting out of the force, I'm leaving it. Because there's a weird thing with, like, a legal system, which I suppose is kind of making a point, where they arrest the people, but then his lawyer gets them off. And that kind of sickens Max, so he's like, oh, I'm out of here. Mm. Goes on the run with his wife, who's played by Joanne Samuel. She plays Jesse. Um, one of the best scenes in the film is for no reason, they're in their house, and it cuts to Jesse just playing a saxophone for no reason. I was like, this yeah. is fantastic. So then they kind of go escape. Um, bit of a spoiler alert here. The biker gang catches up with them, kills his wife and baby. And this then makes Ma- uh, Max go mad and goes on a rampage. So like the film is only 90 minutes long. First 60 minutes is like a setup. Good bit of action. But then the last 20 to 30 minutes is just It's the chase, rampage. the revenge. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of slow. Like it's very much of its time. Um and people, you know, it's part of this exploitation movement or whatever, like so exploitation. You, I expected a lot more action, a lot more violence, um, and crude kind of horrible stuff. But it's actually quite a conventional, clean running kind of thing. Like mm. you know, there's a there's a big car chase at the beginning and then a big climax at the end. But like there's a lot of talking in the middle, and um, you know, it can t- like a lot of the actors probably weren't paid very much. Mel was pretty much an unknown and that does come across like the performances aren't much but you can see enough in George Miller's sort of direction that they you know he then perfected in the next one then they pay tribute to it in the last one where you know they speed stuff up yeah which does look sort of you're like yeah all you've done is press fast forward you've done that in double time so now it looks more dangerous but yeah um, and great music as well I think from Brian May not of Queen the Brian May yeah and, and the other Brian May I suppose um I had an interesting thing where when it was released in America it was redubbed because Americans couldn't understand the Australian accent and weren't that familiar with it. So it was, really? they didn't hear Mel Gibson's voice. It was totally redubbed. Uh, I was just like, that's bonkers. Also, George Miller used to be a doctor and he raised the money by being an emergency room doctor. And he called the character uh, Max Rokotansky because he's actually a 19th century uh, pathologist and he has an autopsy procedure named after him. It's kind of removing the organs from a body. So I was like, killer, that's killer trivia. The other then bit of trivia that everyone loved is that uh, Toe Cutter, one of the worst guys in it, um, the actor who played him, Hugh Keys Byrne, I think he was an Indian English uh, actor, showed up in the most recent Mad Max Fury Road, which we'll talk about in a while, uh, where, he, where he plays Immortan Joe. So 
that's kind of yeah, thirty six years later. Yeah. Very impressive to be playing a bad guy. And George Miller, you do get the sense. Like I think I appreciated because we did it where I think both of us did the same thing where we watched Mad Max Fury Road and then went back to watch these two and they're on the lighthouse and they did their their thing. Um, in re. In, you know, bring them back in that way. So that yeah. was kind of fun. But I think you, I have a better appreciation for how Fury Road is structured and some of the stuff in it. Um, it kind of the makes... ending of this of that Mad Max is also pro- is possibly one of my favorite endings I've ever seen because it's basically it pre- preludes Saw the whole concept of like he straps Max catches um, was it Johnny uh, and t- uh, attaches him to the car wreck um which has this is on fire which something. is on fire and somehow max is able to predict that it's going to take you you know and he chucks a hacksaw at him and he's like okay you can cut through the handcuffs it'll take you 10 minutes or you can cut through your ankle it'll take you five minutes and you know how long is it going to take to blow the car so it's you know brilliant and there is that nice justice in it that like he didn't just shoot him in the head even though he did do that <laughs> yeah um, in the film but like he sort of said no we let the fates and you can make your own decision about your judgment so a very simple thing and yeah, um, I did really like it. I think it's overall production and the way it sort of looked did bother me a bit, a bit too slow. So it's solidly kinda, three and a half out of five. I'm yeah, I'd be pushing four maybe. I kind of liked the slowness of it because we get to the Fury Road later on. Mm. But um, I just kind of liked the, the raw grittiness of it. And it was just like, oh, this is where it all began kind of. And I did prefer the more lines of dialogue kind of with Gibson and his wife and that kind of whole dynamic, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so what we yeah. can do, so we'll move on now quickly to the um, to the second film, which was Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. And so there's a, the, my, I've never, I love a, a well um, edited uh, prologue to a film. Um, that they just sort of sets the scene so they render the need to watch the first film completely obsolete with this thing so you like don't all need to good have seen sequels it. well I think the story behind it being that they launched they didn't even call it Mad Max 2 when it came out in America they sort of you know they were trying to push that here's a new Americanized Mad Max version and uh, so here's the intro which you can then watch which I suppose people would have been like what's this archive like who who is this who is this younger guy of Max so and we will take a little bit of it we won't take the whole thing it's about two and a half minutes but it sets up the film brilliantly Miss Maelstrom of Decay. Ordinary men were battered and smashed. Men like Max. The warrior Max. In the roar of an engine, he lost everything. And became a shell of a man. A burnt-out, desolate man. A man... Haunted by the demons of his past. A man who wandered out into the wasteland. And it was here, in this blighted place, that he learned to live again. that was it um so th- now max is kind of this has moved on a couple of years stuff has gotten really bad at this stage you know there's very little semblance of real society functioning anymore max is out there roaming the outback he's looking for 
um, what do they call it? Guzzoline or gas, basically. Guzzoline. Yeah, basically petrol. You got some guzzoline. Um, <laughs> food, drink, and just, you know, the things to survive. Weapons don't really exist anymore. You know, he has a sawn-off shotgun, and it's very hard to get any shells for it. Which I thought was interesting. Like, it that means is, that they have yeah. to use these weird catapult-type crossbow arrows things. And, and, yeah. yeah, and you see this in, like, The Walking Dead and stuff like where, you know, arrows and, like, reusable <laughs> firearms can have this use in post-apocalyptic worlds. So and this is the real that. kind of start of moving into the, like, desert land kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That. And this really, when you see this one compared to Fury Road, it's... The two are so similar. There's so many callbacks from one to the other in terms of the world. Now, the budget didn't allow it to look as... And obviously visual effects didn't allow it to look as insanely, you know, tanned and blue and just heavy kind of colour palettes that Fury Road had. But in this, you know, you really do feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're in big trouble. So, anyway, Max um, is doing his thing and he gets into trouble, comes across a big, massive gang led by a guy named Wes, who has a great mohawk. And uh, and assless chaps. Assless chaps. Yeah, there's a few weird S&M things going on here. Like the gimp, the guy in the gimp mask, like driving a go-kart midway through. You're like, this is a bit too much like I you know weird 80s hair I think they pushed it a bit too much I think from 1981 yeah and this was two years years later so anyway him and um, Max then makes friends with this guy who sort of seems like a bit like a mad scientist thing and they sort of have it like a buddy movie a little bit and this guy has a flying one man he kind of treats him like a slave yeah like a slave and like a buddy and he keeps him in a chain but they have a good thing anyway so they team up and then they they are led to a fuel compound kind of thing nearby and um they're then taken captive in there, but then Max obviously ends up becoming friends with them, working with them, and the the original biker gang that Max had crossed are now on the rampage and want to take the fuel from this little kind of hippie-ish living group. And there's loads of women in that group, and I sort of felt like that they they called themselves the Northern Gang, which was kind of harked back to a bit in Fury Road of this concept of trying to move on, tribes, and, yeah. yeah, tribes and like forming little like sects of society that are actually not just about carnage and killing so anyway this new group are incredibly violent incredibly rough like horrible kind of people and then they just go on the rampage um trying to attack them and then max gets a truck and they go and drive the oil tank yeah so kind of once it was like oh we have this truck that we need to get out and then max is like oh i'll get you the rig and i was like oh this is kind of so fury road then becomes like kind of an amalgamation i haven't seen the third one i suppose i'll watch it at some point but i wonder kind of what elements they've taken from the third one Maybe the sheer, sheer manicness? Crit- yeah. I think critically the third one is seen as a bit of a, um, what's called Beyond the Thunderdome. It's seen as a slightly mental one. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch it now. Just complete the whole uh, yeah. Max quadrilogy, which isn't a word, but I'm using it anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm go- I, but Mad Max 2, I loved like everything about it. The only issue I had was the costumes. Um, I think much better pace than everything, so I'm giving it a four. Okay. Uh, I'd maybe go with the three and a half in that so one. you've done it. So yeah, we yeah. it. Okay. I loved the dog. I was heartbroken. Spoiler, when the dog dies. For no reason. He just kills yeah. the dog, and we can't even see Max get emotional about the yeah. dog. Like, there is an amazing... My favourite shot, okay, from the two of them, is... Because obviously there's scarce food, so Max eats dog food and then gives some... Uh, the remainder of the can to his dog so there's a bit when max is in the compound and he's got his big black car sorry to any car aficionados it's a v8 is it the last of the v8s yeah so he's kind of sitting in front of it eating his dog food and the dog is up behind him and it just cuts and the two of them are kind of staring forward and i was like it's class it should be a poster yeah. um so i was heartbroken when the dog dies yeah the dog's cool he has like a red bandana as well which is something that you actually see like if you like in 
popular culture like that concept of it's some sort of an Australian hound or something yeah, you know, uh-huh. I don't know but that thing of like a dog with a red bandana you're like is that where that was invented yeah. like, cause that and is lots a of South Park references now made sense to me as well from Mad Max yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway this obviously brings us all really nicely onto Mad Max Fury Road which came out a um, couple, uh, couple of weeks ago now yeah I think the yeah. 10th or something in May um, do you, we take a clip yeah we'll take a clip this is like the films multiplied by 10 <laughs> gives you a bit of a feeling for the sheer uh, up to 11 element of Mad Max Fury Road we can hear Nicholas Holter who is kind of like a weird they're like orcs or something I don't know they're kind of these slaves from um, the area this new absolute wasteland so it's all men we have this uh, Morton Joe who Nigel said was in the first Mad Max he's kind of this weird hulking mass of a man who's in all this weird body armor and he's leading the rampage because we it stars Charlize Theron who plays Furiosa and she is tasked with taking oil and taking it and then getting it refined and he Imogen Joe keeps a Morton Joe keeps all the water so there's absolutely no water in the area but he has access to it all Treats. Gives them a bit of a splash now and yeah, again. All and that's people. it. So they're all kind of enslaved. And Nicholas Holt is then one of these kind of like minions or orcs. and Who needs to be fueled by like blood. humans' blood. And they get yeah. transfusions. And incredibly dark like graphic novel. Mm. If it, like it feels like this could be... Like you wouldn't even need to see the film in a way. Like, you know, this could be like lots of freeze frames just telling you the story. Yeah. It's so visually... And you see, you kind of think it's almost like this is the film George Miller always originally envisioned to make. So now he's taken the elements because now he's got the money and he can, you know, people yeah. are like, yeah, okay. Um, so then Max comes along. He's been, he's still doing his whole rebel kind of on his own. Gets captured by Morton Joe. Um, and is then, Furiosa then escapes the compound with all the women because the women are being used as like breeders to produce new kids and uh, produce milk which is what they drink really they don't really drink water so yeah, uh, which is fun isn't it it's very mad so Charlize kind of takes all the women and they go and escape so then Morton Joe with his posse go after them and, the and that's, that first bit is the first 10 minutes and then we're just yeah, on the road for an hour and a half an hour and a half yeah. of absolutely just absolute insane car chases crazy visuals and I mean, it holds storms. together not like you know in we talk about Transformers being a throw everything at the screen kind of thing, but this, the action does hold together for yeah. the most part. And I think. And there's so much then, kind of, when you go back and have seen the first one, you can see, like, oh, there's so many tip in the hat and nods. The crazy costumes make sense. The anarchy of the cars and. Um, yeah, and it was like a development of the world. So, like, mm. the Citadel place where Thingy lives felt like somewhere that could have existed in but, other, yeah. but in a future version like it would have evolved to that point mm-hmm. um, you know so over the three films it just kept getting sort of worse and worse and Tom Hardy so. obviously is the new incarnation of Max this one and I kind of I said it to a few people when I come out I was like he doesn't do anything or he doesn't say anything really he just kind of uh, mumbles and groans mm, and uh, <clears throat> 
the height of it. But then I mentioned it to someone and uh, she said, well, that's kind of what they're always like, the first ones. And I was like, yeah, I suppose Mel doesn't say too much, you know. He is this kind of lone Western figure. And it's it's a bit predictable because you're like, you know he's not going to stick around uh, for the f- at the end. Like, it doesn't end happily. Or, like, it does end happily, but he's just going to go away, kind of. He's not going to yeah. settle down. He can't Yeah, be. I didn't think a whole lot of Tom Hardy, to be honest. In it. Like, I mean, I do like him when he's actually acting. And, like, in the movie he was in last year where he just drove his Volvo down the M8 in England lock and he just yeah. is on the phone all the time. Like, that is... he He's an incredible actor. And, yeah. like, in this, he just doesn't have a whole lot to do really like it's mm. all it's the Charlize Theron show and it's a real pity that Miller didn't manage to get uh, I don't know, was it Univer- uh, Warner Brothers who actually you know in fairness to them it's mad that they gave this director who hasn't done a whole lot of action cinema like he's won Since his Oscar his for Oscar winning Happy Feet Happy Feet exactly so like to give him a budget of 150 million dollars I see here um, to make a film like this was very brave in the first place but um, it would have been even better if they called it Furiosa's Wrath or something and had yeah. Mad Max in it or something. Because it is great in that it is a real, like lots of people have said, it's, it is quite a feminist piece. It's about the women escaping, casting off yeah. the shackles to go find this other uh, original and it, it, Yeah, Like Charlize Theron is trying to go back to where she came from and there's something going on there that you don't really know. Like she's obviously, maybe she betrayed them in some way or had yeah, to do whatever. Yeah, she's missing an arm. And I mean, there's, there's lots of arguments. You can, read, you can read them in either way. Like that the women are incredibly like there's a you know Victoria's Secret model Rosie Huntington Whitley no relation to me in it and like they're incredibly attractive and and they're incredibly tough as well and they're you know their role in the film okay they look great but like he doesn't have his camera hanging on them no. in the way like I love Michael Furious 7 oh yeah and but the way like there is a scene where the camera literally just does from head to toe kind of scene it's like mm. yeah, and it yeah. oogles them and yeah. like it just objectifies them completely whereas here sure you know they're hot and attractive but they're also really tough and they develop and they grow and they fight for each other and yeah, it just would have been better if they'd let Max, you know, step aside completely. Yeah. Like, Charlie Saran is a re- I think she's so good in it. I mm. think um, I'd happily watch it again now. I mean, in fact, maybe I will. I think I might go and see it again just to see. After I watch the third one, I might yeah. go catch it again just to see all the bits knitting together. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. speaking of bombastic, ginormous, uh, explosive films, uh, this week we've got uh, San Andreas, which is out this weekend. Um, got a clip for this? Who play it? Yeah, here's, I'll just set it up. It's Paul Giamatti, who is Mr. Scientist, um, testing out his new gizmo. Cool. Lawrence, it's incredible. This is the third mini-quake since we've been here. And the magnetic pulse rate has increased before each one of them. That was a 2.2. Our model's predictive. The right man, finally. Yep, we sure did. <laughs> What's wrong? The pulse rates are spiking again. They're huge. Are you serious? I'm about to have a major quake. It jumped to a 7.1! Jesus, Kim, get the hell out of there! Yep, so there we have Paul kind of setting it up. And this is about... 10 minutes into the film I think and the Hoover Dam just gets destroyed and you're like alright oh, okay this well, it's one of those films isn't yeah it? <laughs> it's just like wow okay it's not like Tarn Inferno where we have an hour of dialogue and then you realise shit starts to happen and the building starts yeah. falling down have you seen Earthquake they, people keep talking about this from 1974 I saw like half an hour of it in the telly yeah. one time it's like it was on like UTV on Saturday and oh, yeah. I kind of started watching it yeah is this almost like a remake or something no no I think it just nods they, they were just mm. saying in all the press Dwayne the Rock Johnson 
um, who I love, let's be honest, you know, um, is he, he was kind of talking about it. He was in, he was did an interview last week with Mark Kermode and it was very funny. And Simon Mayo and Simon Mayo asked uh, The Rock, oh, do you remember Earthquake? And The Rock's like, I do remember Earthquake and the, uh, yeah, the impact that movie had and everything. And then Kermode goes on about the census around things. It's one of these first films to have a super bassy soundtrack. It kind of invented that uh, thing. Which is good for a film about an earthquake. And then after the interview, a few minutes later, uh, someone just said, someone t- texted in and just said, "Yeah, so The Rock was two months old when the movie came out, so I think he was just being polite and saying or stupid, like because he he said something like he set up that it was in the seventies instead of it was like near, you know it's pretty much you know thirty odd years ago in my head. I'm like, no, it's forty years. But <laughs> uh, anyway, but I don't hold it against The Rock. Yeah, he yes. is very good in this. He is, and like it's it is hard not to like him. Kind of, he plays. Uh rescue helicopter guy and first respond yeah like the first the, the scene where they go catch they rescue a woman from down a cliff and he's doing stuff with a helicopter and you're like that's ridiculous not a sure helicopter can, can do sideways, that can yeah you? you know it's not so this, to me the whole video i love a disaster movie feels too much like a video game and it's more just like we've got tons of money and all these gizmos for special effects so stuff is ridiculous it's like mm-hmm. sharknado levels of stuff going wrong like buildings are falling down like dominoes there's like at one that's point the it shows the city it's a 9.6 on the Richter scale yeah it shows the city almost as if it's at sea like just a rock a wave of you I know. haven't read anything about what actual like um, are they called seismologists or something are that what I Paul Giamatti so, yeah. plays earthquake scientists yeah um, what they've made of it or is there any kind of Balance yeah, did they consult anyone? Ridiculous. Like you were saying, you had a point where it almost looked like it's two separate films in a degree because there's no. Yeah. So Paul Giamatti is the scientist who's at Caltech, and who's like you know developed this new system to measure the earthquakes and, and then to predict them. To, yeah, to find tremors and then say right, this is going to hit over here. And Let's then get everyone out. Dwayne Johnson is the rescue guy, but there, and you would like in the Tower and Inferno, you had uh, Steve McQueen was. Uh, the firefighter and Paul Newman was in the building so like the two of them were committing each other yeah but with this there's no communication between the two of them and you almost had a theory where it was like yeah where it's completely separate where maybe like they would have shot it and gone god there's not much brains in it we better let's get Paul Giamatti or someone like that you know or Philip Seymour oh no let's get Paul Giamatti to be a scientist and uh, we'll get the some you know credible actress what about that girl who's in The Good Wife yeah let's get her then to be like a reporter and then they can shoot some intelligence scenes that set set it up and uh, I don't know I haven't found out whether that is any truth in it but so like it's good fun it doesn't drag too much gets a bit dark at one point was like Jesus they're not actually going to go down this route are they no and yeah and that girl um with the dark bit that you refer to um she plays the, uh what's the rock's name ray so ray's daughter mm-hmm. the, the simple thing which i found funny in the whole thing is that there's also a bit where he's he rescues um people outside a football stadium which is about the only time he does anything for anyone else other than at the beginning that it's very much a focus on saving the family mm. so this is the thing Have with blockbusters now yeah shot at the end of the american flag as well we were just like did we yeah. really need that yeah, but there's a thing with blockbusters where, okay, a million people die, but the star saves his wife and his yeah. daughter. Is that is that a win for the film then? Because I find that quite hard at times, watching this absolute... Like, it had a couple of shots of old people just before they yeah. got wiped out and stuff, and you just saw the absolute devastation, and I was kind of like, I don't really want to watch this or something. Yeah, I don't but know. it's a reality. That is what a tsunami... Cause, and, mm. yeah, lots going on in it. He starts in a helicopter, then he does some scenes where he rescues people in a jeep then he does some time in a boat he's in a biplane a small little plane 
Um, does he have a bicycle? Do you say when he likes life's on a bike? I don't, don't think, so. think so. Disappointing. Bit of a gap. Anyway, his daughter um, played. Do you remember the first episode of uh, The Last Man on Earth? Oh yeah. Um, when he hallucinates and sees a really hot version of Kristen Schaal. Ah. That's who he sees. Ah, brilliant. Um, Alexandra Daddario. Brilliant. Uh, I think. And then, yeah, Kylie Minogue is in here for no reason. I forgot to say that to you, yeah, because me and I just went to see it together and uh, sitting separately. And, uh, That's how we like to do it. And I was like, oh, there's Kylie Minogue for like two minutes and two then minutes. she dies. She plays, Brilliant. yeah. And so the young Griffud, who was in the, the Fantastic Four all those years ago, um, is, plays a real worm kind of, of a dude. And he does a force majeure. Anyone who's seen the wonderful film Force Majeure will know what that means in terms of just, you know, abandoning ship. And that's very funny. His death is wonderful. Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, wrapping it up. I did enjoy it. I took a lot. I had great fun. There's not, you're not going to remember this much. You're not going to go back and watch it. And they talked about like trying to make a disaster movie on the, uh, that will be remembered. Mm. There's no one. There's no one. For me, it but. pushes the special effects too much. So there's no real, you don't really care about anyone. Like you don't worry yeah. too much and you're like, oh, yeah. they're probably so all going to be fine. Massive so. script problems. Um, the script is written by uh, Carlton Cuse. Do you know that name? Um, half of the lost team oh and so the other half of the lost team is uh, Damon Lindelof so Damon Lindelof uh, did a film uh, Tomorrowland which came out um, last week uh. Uh, no yesterday no was that last week um, so I'll just read the description of it because it's slightly bonkers and I'm not really I tried to condense this into English but anyway whenever Casey Newton touches a lapel pin with the letter T on it she finds herself transported to Tomorrowland a city filled with huge robots and sleek buildings the gifted young woman recruits the help of scientist Frank Walker, played by George Clooney, a previous visitor to Tomorrowland, who years ago made a startling discovery about the future. Together, the two adventurers travel to the metropolis to uncover its mysterious secrets as the fate of mankind hangs in the balance. So basically, the science makes no sense. To get from the real world into Tomorrowland, we first see it in the 1950s. They go into like a Disneyland, like World Fair type thing into a boat and the they have these pins that then get scanned and all of a sudden they go into like a weird elevator. <laughs> oh, now they're in the alternative. So it's like a parallel universe type existence. So okay. there is, but they don't really dwell on that or explain it much. And Damon Lindelof, um, we know he did Prometheus, you know, Cowboys and Aliens. Like he's prone to doing a lot of weird stuff. Even Star Trek, like people have issues with how these just like timelines and alternative worlds, you either explain them or you don't. And in this, you just have to go along with it. The Tomorrowland looks amazing, looks brilliant. The design in it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Directed by Brad Bird, who we know from uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which I think you told me you just watched recently. Did you? Most recent one? No. No, that wasn't you. Brilliant. No. You should watch it. Okay. It's very good. And um, that was the most recent one before it's, the new one. I, so no. I haven't seen Tomorrowland, but I, it's yeah. not doing well, I don't think. No, so it topped the box office in its first weekend and made $50 million, but that's because nothing else was out. So it costs upwards of about 180 190 So it's one of these that's probably going to go down as a Disney film. So it's going to... You know, they've they have a lot of like tanking kind of films like they had, they were behind John Carter and stuff like that and they Fingers just, crossed for Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well they, exactly, they're all under the big umbrella. So I'm sure Marvel is owned by that. So yeah, they're fine. Yeah. But um Does George Clooney do the business? George Clooney is pretty good in it. Like the scenes in the fifties are so much better. Like Bradbird is one of these people who 
you knew from The Incredibles that he he's real kind of like whiz kid, like optimist, sort of 1950. You know that kind of... I was trying to think about this. And yeah. Same with Damon Lindelof. Post-World like World War II, kind of. Yeah, optimism. Like Captain America kind of era. And in Lost, there was all that stuff of like the 1970s where it was great. Like this retro optimism, I'd call it. So that stuff does work well. And George Clooney is good. But the scenes back in the past were way better. And then when it all comes to the future and Hugh Laurie is in there... Which is kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see Hugh Laurie in a in a film, who plays kind of head of Tomorrowland. Who they're trying to predict the end of the actual world, and that's because of stuff he's doing and mm-hmm. didn't really make much sense. There but there's go. not much. It, there is. It just is that sort of thing of the world not really working for itself, and why you know the reason that this girl Casey is kind of con- is picked mm-hmm. like by the by this thing is because she's just an optimist, and rather than being told in school that the world is ending, she's the only one who says. But what can we do about it, you know? So it's fine. It's it's what I, I really wanted to like it because it's an original film, not a franchise script. Director, you know, you you really want to see it do well. But yeah, by the end, you're like, nah, more franchises, more sequels, please. So it's a, but it is maybe two and a half, three. It's perfectly fine. And like, it will click with some kids when they're like a certain age, but not much for the for the um, old folks. Speaking of original films, uh, let's have a quick look at Unfriended. Uh, it came out a couple of weeks ago. And here is a clip which sets it up nicely. buddy uh, it turns out it's laura barnes um so this film is very unique because it starts out and the whole film is played out just by looking at somebody's laptop and it's often a thing i've wondered since skype came in and anytime i'm talking to someone on skype and they're like oh i'm just gonna pop out of the room now and i was like god what if someone walked in front of the camera now or i hear something happening the person i'm talking to on skype mm-hmm. and then you have to ring so it's a horror film and it starts off where we see the footage of a girl committing suicide because we then realize she has been internet shamed Um, we don't really know why you find out eventually and so then it's a group of kids and friends, uh, friends, say 16, 17, having a Skype conversation, uh, group chatting. But a wee icon comes up and they don't know who it is. And they're like, oh, who is this person? We need to get rid of her. And Which it, was incredibly creepy as well. Yeah. Because like, these things don't really fail anymore. Like, no. This sort of thing might have happened years ago. Yeah. Um, but... So then, uh, but it's so like of the moment now because it's all like Facebook and Twitter. And it's so good. And I mean, YouTube. She... They try to delete a virus and say, can't delete due to torrent file, Saturday Night Live, Miley Cyrus. Just existing. You see all these little, like, watching the screen was amazing. And they have perfect, like, when something is horrible is happening. So then shit starts going weird and they start getting knocked off kind of one by one. So one of the times someone cameras goes dead and it loads back for, like, a second and you see something's crazy going on in the room. Then the wee buffer and icon comes up. And there's total silence, and then you're just waiting for it to be unbuffered and come back. So I thought it worked fantastically. Didn't really have a clue what it was about. Um, and it's really, really smart and really up. unique. Yeah, yeah, it is very clever. Like, I mean, there's... You didn't obviously. dig the end as much, I think. Um, 
No. I didn't mind it. It so. goes a bit ring kind it of. It just suddenly got a little bit too much like the real world. Like, and there's a scene where they're all there and this mysterious power is telling them that they have to... What do they call it? Would you rather? Was yeah. It? Yes. Yeah. No, never have I ever. Never have I ever. That was yeah. it. The classic teen thing. So, yeah. uh, no. But I thought it was just brilliant because, you know, in terms of showing teenage relationships, how crap they can be, how horrible people can be to one another, and just in terms of how they can multitask... And the setup. And then I, I haven't read anything about how it was actually constructed or how that, like from a motion graphics point of view, to create this real desktop thing. Mm. If I told you it was all done in real time, would you believe me? No. No. That they just recorded the whole thing. So yeah, that's worth a check out. It's, it probably is gone from theatres now, but... um, This is the ultimate. This is a watch at home yeah. kind of movie on your laptop. And it probably knows that. I almost felt that the film is the sort of one that tells you to watch it. I watched that clip earlier. I, I loaded it and my screen went weird. Now I have a piece of chip laptop, but I was like, have they built this into the trailer <laughs> that when you play the trailer, your computer messes up? Brilliant. But no. Um, you didn't get to see very much this month, but I, I didn't also see very much because you were away. You were in Helsinki. Helsinki. What did you see in Helsinki? Midnight Cowboy. Amazing. And how was your cinema experience? Fantastic. It was a lovely uh, small cinema called the Orion. Kind of like the IFI. has a lovely feature where you can hang up a bag and a coat beside you. And yeah, brilliant. Is it all reruns? Or it's all uh, old films and in their original Re- language. Reparte so It was in English. No Finnish with Finnish subtitles. Oh, which is kind of weird because I was laughing away. It's quite funny at points. And then the rest of the crowd would laugh like uh, 10 seconds later. I thought they'd all follow it in English. I thought Finland so had a lot of English exposure. But, but anyway. I often find sometimes if I'm watching something with English subtitles, I consciously, for no reason, look at the English You'll subtitles. Reading them. Yeah, I am... Um, I was in London as well. We had a week or two. You know, school goes on holiday sometimes, usually separately. Once again, don't actually spend time with one another. But uh, so I was in London and saw Clouds of Seal Maria in a cinema called The Phoenix, which is a really uh, beautiful kind of cinema. It's not Mark Kermode's one, is it? Um, don't know. It was in high, uh... Finchley. Yeah. Does he own what? I think that's where he always went when he was a kid. The Phoenix in Finchley. It's the one he keeps going on about. All right. Okay. Oh, brilliant. So it's completely it unknown. Yeah. Ethna Carroll and I went. Uh, yeah. So it was a beautiful cinema. Again, two screens, I think. So, um, but a lovely, you know, these kind of things. You admire the architecture, and that's the difference when you're in a cine world or you're in a thing like that. That compared to when you're in the lighthouse or you know the IFI, and you look up in the IFI, and there's a door, and you're like, why is there a door up high there? I love that they weren't allowed to take that out. <laughs> Where does it go? Yeah. Anyway, but uh, Clouds of Seal Maria. I'm not actually even talking about because you haven't seen it yet. It is my move. I'm skipping way ahead, but it is from my movie moment of the month where Kirsten Stewart is in it, and um, she is a really good nuanced performance of her being an assistant to Juliette Binoche's character, and the film sort of plays around with imagination a little bit. Or I read it like this, and then all of a sudden they're out for a walk. Kristen Stewart disappears and it's just a spooky kind of moment and yeah I'm not it, it is worth seeing people were raving about it but I didn't like it as much but it's enough there to see it for the performances I think that was the consensus when we saw it thumbs up for it and the very last one I'm going to mention very quickly is Girlhood um, which is uh, Celine Sciamma's film about a girl living in suburban Paris who um, is growing up teenager kind of you know life really crap lives in a horrible like kind of apartment and you can see you know the scenes of them just kind of walking and they're getting you know whistled out and abuse and you're like yeah there's not many routes that they can take in life and anyway she falls in with the gang um the girl who playing the main part uh, is Karija Toure who plays Mariam and her nickname is Vic and um yeah it's the kind of thing that if you're showing films to transition your girls just about how things can go right and wrong based on kind of choices you make you should watch it so you should see it it's not a sequel to Boyhood 
Brilliant. Um, so for my movie moment of the month, it's another. Uh, it's called "A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night," which you caught at Jedif. Yes, I think you dug it. Yeah, loved it. it. Yeah, favorite film of the festival, ah, possibly. So it's directed by Anna Lily Amapur, and the bit is so it's just about this vampire basically who's going around Bad City. I think it's called or Bad Town. Uh, black and white, incredibly dreamy, very kind of you know. Um, dreamlike just the whole thing so Sheila Vand plays the vampire and she plays the girl and there's a scene where she like steals a skateboard off a kid and then the next scene is her like on the skateboard but holding on to the wall totally in like a black cape burka thing and I was just like this is fantastic it looks visually it's beautiful mm-hmm. so that was my movie moment of the month excellent yeah I think we talked about it a bit more about it and podcast two months ago I think wasn't it so uh, you can go back and listen to that if you're a fanatic And but you should definitely see it plenty to see this month surprisingly yeah. Like, because uh, it's only when we, we do our Starting monthly review summer. now, we're not, you'll have, listeners, you'll have noticed, we don't get to review as much during the week. Um, and then we do our full roundup of everything at the month. And when I actually looked at the dozen stuff that we'd seen, it's a pretty strong month, all mm. in all. You know, it's plenty kind of there. Um, speaking of months as a whole, uh, we've got June coming up next. Uh, my pick for June um, is Mr. Holmes, a film I saw, caught a preview of it a week or two ago. Um, Ian McKellen is in it, uh, plays an old dying Sherlock Holmes and this is interesting it's great because we've had so much mm. Sherlock stuff in the recent years between the American TV show Elementary the English one Sherlock the Robert Downey Jr. film so it was nice to get it like him when his powers are kind of weakened and Watson is gone and you know Irene Adler isn't in it and all this you know it's always good it was good he's brilliant in it but it's very much a kind of a nice light bank holiday Monday afternoon that you might go to with your grandparents or something Brilliant. my pick is Slow West it's coming out in towards the end of June it stars uh, Michael Fassbender and Cody Smith McPhee he's kind of going to find he's from Scotland and he's going to find his uh, lost love in the American uh, West so it's directed by John McLean and who oh sorry John John. who was actually in a band the better band. Uh, so there the we go. Band are very, they were one of those cool kind of cooler than enemy, like under the radar. I think if they were around now, they'd be way cooler because yeah. the internet would do much more. Anyway. Uh, so that's coming out on the 26th of June. Saw the trailer for it before A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Looks great. Very funny. Would strike you like um, the film the Coen brothers should have made and not... Uh... True Grit. Yes. Oh, yeah. So there we go. Um, Excellent. My pick, uh, or sorry, not my pick. Then. pick. So uh, the other pick that I suppose we're both curious about um, is uh, Jurassic World, um, because this is sort of a weird one. Like, I think there was a lot of excitement about this, and Chris Pratt. We were all very excited about everything last year, and then the trailers came out. The trailers came out, and like the, Joss Whedon tweeted about it being like you know looking very sexist and dated and everything. And I think the anticipation was kind of wetted a little bit. By it, or does that mean the anticipation was whetted with a H? What does that even mean? Whet your appetite. Whet your. So yeah, no. Maybe the anticipation was quenched, quelled. Yeah. Let's say it was quelled. Yeah. Um, a little bit by this, and suddenly you're like, oh, everything was going. You know that I'm sure marketing people like when they do these films, like they're like, yes, we've got goodwill. People are buzzing. Like you know, Mad Max. They didn't even need to put that on posters or anything. Like people were just they'd seen trailers when the trailer came out last summer. Everyone like that was so everyone's so excited about it. Yeah. There's enough goodwill in terms of the director and everything. But now, um, Colin Trevorrow's Jurassic World, everyone is a little bit like, okay. It looks like it's going to be too long, too silly. Yeah. Like, it looks like Chris Pine, Chris Pratt, is um, 
a dinosaur angler and it's just going to have a team of raptors and you're like this is stupid and he'll get to will he get the girl if it was 90 so. minutes cool but in my head it's probably 2 hours and 20 well, I tell or you, something I'll look up here at the running time <laughs> I hope yeah. it's I hope it's 88 minutes <laughs> um uh, but yeah so that's it but anyway this of course went, once we get into the Jurassic World uh, two hours and ten minutes so. brilliant I was ten off yeah so anyway <laughs> once you get into the like Steven Spielberg's Jurassic World you end up always harking back to the original like we did this last year when it got its um, or the end of last year what was it? oh yeah no, the end of two, uh, 2013 20th year anniversary it came out in IMAX and everything and you just then and it was on at Christmas and I watched it and I saw The Lost World when I was in work one day, I had it on. So I think that's the way to watch Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah, yeah. In and out, where you're not really watching it. Um, but you just watch that. And it, I, I was thinking, it got me thinking back to just that introduction to Jurassic Park. And so here is that clip for our scene. We're both very excited. Uh, Jurassic World is coming out on, I think, the 10th of June. I have a, I'm a bit apprehensive, but it's mm. still my movie pick of the month in terms of big blockbusters. It's a quiet yeah. kind of month. We'll have... We'll have the What's Worth Watching feature a day or two after this, but by yeah. the time you're listening to this, probably might be already on Spool.ie. Um, and Stay tuned on Spool.ie for our Watch with Spool, which we will pick. Uh, yeah, we'll have more on that when we do up the Mad Max stuff, so um, we'll talk more about it. Anyway, here is Welcome to Jurassic Park, 1993. Bye-bye. <laughs> you did. You crazy son of a bitch, you did. Terrible robot. Cold it doesn't apply. They're totally wrong. This is a warm bodied creature. <laughs> this thing doesn't live in a swamp. This thing's got what a 25, 27 foot neck. Rack you saw on 30. The T-Rex is 32 miles an hour. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Wow. Put your, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sattler. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Show you. 